Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Jamie, please, Jamie, please, Jamie, Jamie, please. <laughs> wait, let me try it again. Jamie, please, no, Jamie, please, that. Jamie, Jamie. Wait, how does, how does it go? You have to get the cadence. It's yeah. an iambic pentameter. Is wait, baby, I'm please, baby, please, baby, is. baby. I, f- I forget the order now. Anyway, hi. Well, I'm dumping you anyways, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Sorry, I'm dumping you on the bridge. I deserve it. <laughs> Honestly, who in this movie doesn't? Welcome to the Bechtel cast. Uh, my name is Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante. And welcome to our... Um, I don't know where that was going to our podcast. We're okay. So we are like, there's a bit of a frenetic, exciting energy to the episode today Mm. because, and we'll let you in on the big secret that is allowed is we're recording together today, which is (gasps) we're physically together with our guest. This Mm -hmm. has not happened in almost two years and I'm truly like, I'm excited. And I also like, it's like weird and different. I know. And we have such, and we have such an, like, there's so much to talk about today, too, on top. And we watched the movie together, and our guests made twice. this incredible dinner twice. Caitlin got ice cream. <laughs> I got wine that's just okay. <laughs> and and we're here. We're together. I don't know. It's all very exciting. I, truly. So what is the podcast about? <laughs> uh, it is our podcast in which we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens. Yeah. We use the Bechtel test as a inspiration, a jumping off point to initiate a larger discussion. And the Bechtel test, of course, is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel. Yeah. Sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. It requires the version that we use that two characters of a marginalized gender mm-hmm. have names they speak to each other, and that conversation is about something other than a man. And ideally, it is a meaningful, narratively relevant 
conversation. Right. Um, and today, I mean, I, I think we we uh, we have a movie that's been requested for many years. We're very excited to be covering it, and even more so than the movie, we have a guest who is. I mean, so amazing, but even as it pertains to this show, a uh, record-breaking mm. guest, shattering through <laughs> through <laughs> things we didn't realize were possible. I know. And we should be presenting her with a jacket that we promised a year ago. Yeah. We had plenty Oops. of time to get this jacket. <laughs> but we, it's, we fucked up. It's because we actually contracted some moths to make some silk for the jacket. And it's a supply chain issue and mm-hmm. the moths are on strike and it's this whole thing. And we want to reach an equitable contract with them. Yeah. So it's all good. <laughs> Jacket's on the way. I was like, where is this going? As soon as you said moths. <laughs> moths make silk. Do they? Yes. I thought that was right? a spider thing. Oh my God. Wait, I just started to be like, am I? Oh no. Worms. Silk worms. Oh no. What do moths do? <laughs> they, they, they eat. They eat. They eat. <laughs> They'll just tear it See, apart I've with their mouths. I've been drinking this cheap wine, and now I think that moths make silk. <laughs> that's okay. Well, can you? That's why we don't have a jacket because I hired moths. Yeah, that 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 was your first mistake. And they're on strike. Yeah, because they're like, what? why are you asking us to do? This? I can't. And they're like, you need to be paying us more because we cannot physically do what you're asking. Wow, they've got what? a subcontract with the worms, and that costs money. <laughs> I'm caught in the middle of oh god, I've, and this is the life of a CEO, and it's it's hard. <laughs> Turns out moths don't make silk. Um, oh. Well, we're covering <laughs> we're covering. She's got to have it uh, today. 1986 film by Spike Lee, and we're bringing back the all time. I really fumbled your intro, but uh, Caitlin, you have the correct. I've intro. got yes, I've got all the details. Uh, she is a vulture comic. You should know. She's got some headlining shows coming up in February on the East Coast. You know her from our episodes on how Stella got her groove back, Casino Royale, among others. It's Kenise Mobley. Hello, welcome back, <sighs> five timer. Yeah, five timer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm. So excited you're back. Welcome to LA, by the way. Thank you. I, I told you guys it was because Sketch Fest was rescheduled, but really it was because of this. I would fly out here to do this. I love yeah. this pod. Let's do it. We've really reached, yeah, S tier podcast where we fly our guests out. Yes. We fly our guests out. And uh, don't say that. People will request to be. They'll yeah. be like, um, I, uh, excuse free me. Free trip. <laughs> Like oh well um no, but but we are we're so stoked that you're here. It's still I'm still like acclimating to be in the same room with other people. I know it's like I have to look over here and then I have to look over here. It's we were doing thing. this for years. <laughs> I know, and it and I've lost the skill. <laughs> same, but we are covering. Uh, she's got to have it. We just watched it together two times in a row. We had a two course meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um and. Here we are. And we're doing great. All right. Kenise, what is your history? Oh, right. Your religion? Yeah. I, I was like, how does this show work? <laughs> I'm too excited. I was like, wow, I wonder what's going to happen. I should know. <laughs> so, so Kenise, your, your history, your relationship with this movie. So I saw this movie for the first time in college. Uh, I think I took my first film course junior year. Mm. And we watched this in I'm beginning to think that the guy just 
had us watch movies that he liked because we watched this movie and the 2005 Pride and Prejudice and maybe like mm. two other movies. And I'm like, I don't understand what this class was. But we watched <laughs> that movie. Okay. And we talked about it. And like in the history of like black and white New York movies where we talked a little bit about Woody Allen as well. And sure. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, I mm-hmm. like this more than that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Jamie, what about you? What's your relationship? I had never seen this movie. Um, I I knew it was like, it was one of those, I don't know. I, I have a very poor track record with watching auteur movies. I get overwhelmed and I feel like people bring so much to auteurs that they love that I, I'm like, you're probably right. And then I never watched the movie, <laughs> um, which is why like I never watched a Wes Anderson movie before mm. <laughs> this show. Like I'd seen very little, like all of the auteurs of this era I hadn't seen. And um, I've seen a number of Spike Lee movies now, but I hadn't seen this one. And so I saw it for the first time with you both. And I was really on board with it for a, for a chunk. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then it was like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, I mean, I, I'm, I generally like really enjoyed it. And I think it's like, I mean, and especially for like the way it was made too, it's just like kind of an unbelievable mm-hmm. accomplishment. I'm excited to talk about it. Long story short, hadn't seen it. Caitlin? Same. I had never seen this. Really? Uh, yeah. I had seen other Spike Lee movies, but uh, this one, I don't know. It just never came across my desk. Your desk. <laughs> There, yeah, Caitlin's desk. It's just full of <laughs> movies. other movies. Yeah, movies all, of other, all of Spike Lee's I'm other movies. I'm desk right now. Accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. There's, um, but yeah, I watched it for the first time a few days ago, knowing knowing that we would watch mm. this, and I just had to be extra prepared. But uh, and then I started watching the series as well because right. this from got... 2017, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I got like four episodes into that, and I have a little bit of like stuff to mention about the series at some point but uh yeah generally i enjoy this intellectual property be it the movie or the tv series but yeah i'm also excited to talk about it i'm very yeah there's so much especially i don't know like spike lee is such a fascinating figure too and it's like he's one of the few auteurs that I feel like is very willing to interact with conversations about his past work Mm -hmm. in a way that most men are like no Mm -hmm. I was right (laughs) which I mean we were just talking about one of them Woody Allen is an excellent example of someone who has made a movie in this aesthetic style and refuses to acknowledge any of the problems with his past work Mm -hmm. and that's the 50th most problematic thing about him (laughs) um but in any case, yeah, I'm very excited to talk about this movie and, and the history of mm-hmm. it. Should I just dive into the recap and we'll go from there? Yeah, let's do it. Hell yeah. All right. I still can't get over this. This, I know. this is so wild. I have to make We're sure. We're here. I- here. <laughs> it's nice. Oh, that's so nice. Okay, so we open on some still images of Brooklyn. Taken by Spike Lee's brother. Mm-hmm. Spike Lee's family is very present in this in movie. In the movie, it's yep. Nice. Then we cut to Nola Darling, played by Tracy Camilla Johns. She's waking up in bed and then begins to directly address the camera, saying that she wants to clear her name. She considers herself normal, even though other people have called her a freak. And then she's like, but here's the deal. Then we cut to a man named Jamie Overstreet. And the Jamie representation with this character 
Jamie. I was a very poor Jamie representation <laughs> in this movie. Mm-hmm. You bring in a Jamie character, automatically I'm rooting for them. And mm. things really take a turn. Certainly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he's played by Tommy Redmond Hicks. He's also addressing the camera, saying that he believes each person has only one soulmate. And for him, Nola was that person. We see a very sensual sex scene between Nola and Jamie. Then we cut to Nola's ex-roommate, Clorinda Bradford, played by... Spockley's sister. Yes. How is her name? I thought it was Joy, but then it's... Joie. Joie. Joie Lee. She's telling us that when she lived with Nola, there'd be all these strange men in their apartment that Nola was having sex with, and it caused a falling out between Nola and Clorinda. And then put a pin in that character, because she's not going to be back for so long. Yeah. <laughs> One we of my problems with this movie. It's like, yes. let's introduce mm-hmm. a woman and then disappear her. Okay, right. can, I don't want to interrupt the recap no, too please, many times. Please, no, please. But the please, first baby, sex please, scene... Please, baby, please. I think you got it right that time. The first sex scene... Jamie is so sweaty. And to pick that up in low oh. light, in black and white, that he's truly dripping sweat on this poor woman. <laughs> You're right. That is, Kenise pointed out all these incredibly insightful things about shooting on film as we were watching this. I was like, mm. oh yeah, it would be really hard to like, you have to be sweating a lot for it to pick up through so many yes. <laughs> things. Oh, I was just like, Oh no, poor her, because she didn't look that sweaty. Mm. But he, like, he, she touches his back, and you can see like droplets moving and being spread out over skin. And I was like, "Look, not all daughter. Jamies have sex like that. <laughs> Some Jamies are very dry." Well, it's also weird because they almost certainly not everywhere. Not everywhere. <laughs> not where it counts. Okay. <laughs> but in other areas, you know, it's fine. But they would have only been simulating sex. So, like, why is he so sweaty? <laughs> was there some? Was there someone like with a spray bottle? Like, we need to make this realistic. Yeah, so, yeah. Maybe that. Yeah, I. I don't know. I mean, not to shame sex sweaters. Your body is your body, but it was a lot of sweat. There was a lot of it was sweat. A lot of sweat. Mm. There, you know, <laughs> humans, human bodies. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of naked ones in this movie. Um, okay, so. Nola tells us about how men come up with some really off-putting pickup lines, but Jamie was different. And then we see the scene where we they quickly first... quickly see that he was absolutely not different. <laughs> right. And in fact, was maybe even <laughs> weirder than... You see this really funny... Um, this really funny... Uh, montage? Montage. Oh my God, I can't remember any words today. <laughs> For the listeners, I was trying to... Kenise said the word alter, and I was... In my notes, four different times it says... Nola's meaningful shelf <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just suffering um but yeah the the montage of like shitty pickup lines with mm-hmm. with guys who are like locking eyes with the camera I and trying to that. like fuck you through this it's just so funny it's really good yeah some of those lines have not changed I live in Brooklyn now and I'm like <laughs> yep he still lives there he still lives here <laughs> this guy definitely still here what's up he's just 55 now he's hanging yeah. out at the same bars <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this movie is 35 years old. Uh, it came out in 86, which is also the year I came out. Wow. <laughs> Nasty way to put that. <laughs> I came out of my mom's vagina. Yeah, I was like, okay. I feel like Caitlin. you could specify what kind of coming out, but okay. Hi, Lori. Know you're listening. <laughs> anyway, okay. So, right. Jamie meets her by spotting her while he's waiting for the bus and then following her. 
So he to a to a fun jazz soundtrack by Spike Lee's dad. <laughs> yeah, he goes from what I presume to be J Street Metro Tech down Fulton Mall. These are all New York places, but mm-hmm. you can still go shopping there if you want to. And that's like they're not like right beside each other. Just to be clear, they're like so he's following her for a while. Yeah, because he goes from the F entrance uh-huh. and he walks down this Fulton Mall road to an entrance of the. Two, three, okay? Oh. So that's totally different train lines, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I can relate and I understand 100%. <laughs> Same. No, you, Caitlin, you well, lived in New York yeah, for a, a minute. Yeah. I like, Wait, did you live in Manhattan? I did. Wow. I lived in East Harlem. So. Oh, well, then I take back the wow. That's normal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then we meet Mars Blackman, played by Spike Lee himself. He talks about how Nola was a freak in the sheets, quote unquote. And he's like, well, that's something that men want. Yeah, but not for a wife. We're like, Spike oh, Lee can hey. say the most vile things in character and he's so lovable. I like, know. He just, you're just like, I can fix him. You know? <laughs> he's also, I, I put this in my notes. He's more attractive than the other guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like more than Jamie, more than everyone in that weird montage. And it was just kind of like, what a self-centered thing to do as the director to be like, is he hotter than me? Well, he's not in the picture. (laughs) No way. I won't have him. I'm going to stand next to that guy. I thought that that was. No. I mean, I feel like that's a good use of power. (laughs) I would be like, no one hotter than me in the movie. I'm going to look amazing. (laughs) Well, he got over that because in the show. Everyone is the most beautiful person you've ever seen. Well, but he's not it. He stopped he's being in his own. Show. That's true. People kept getting hotter and hotter. And he's like, I'm just going to stay back here. <laughs> I do feel. But like Spike it. Lee is hot. Mm-hmm. It's like to this day, he's hot. He still looks the way he did in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So then we cut back to Jamie Overstreet, who mentions a woman who seems to be interested in Nola, mm-hmm. though Nola denies that anything is going on between them. Then we meet this woman, Opal Gilstrap. There, everyone, Kenise, you said this <laughs> while we were watching. Every character in this movie has such a good movie name. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. it's so movie. It's great. Nola asks her what it's like to have sex with a woman. And Opal is like, well, you should just try it, parentheses, with me, which Nola does not do. Then we meet Greer Childs, played by John Canada Terrell. Which is an even faker name somehow. (laughs) Oh, my God. I need to, like, put a pin in that and be like, just name. Give your kid the middle name Canada and just see what happens. (laughs) See what happens. Like, see how they turn out. Mm -hmm. You know? That's fun. Probably going to be cool. (laughs) Right? I feel like it will elevate (laughs) them in some way. But not a middle middle girl. Canada. (laughs) Wild. He talks about how he molded Nola into a refined young woman. He's very judgy and elitist. He has a... Mm-hmm. he does yeah yeah and a series of suits yes that he wears i think each and every time in a situation that, that does not call for it no yeah <laughs> not at all every, mars is wearing a jersey of some kind yeah yeah it's like i'm sorry but uh thanksgiving at a studio apartment you don't need to you wear, don't a suit. wear a suit yeah you don't <laughs> And I, just for the listeners, uh, a perm in the way that black people use it, not in the way that white people use it, which makes your hair curlier. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a perm in the way that it relaxes the hair, a relaxer mm-hmm. or a texturizer. Okay, now you guys got it. Okay. <laughs> so someone else would be like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> like Sigourney Weaver used to do. <laughs> Honestly, it kind of meets in the middle there. Because, yeah, mm. his hair has a little bit of wave to it. That, well, some corals. Yeah, there are some Sigourney rolls. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. 
then we see a sex scene between Greer and Nola, which is mostly him taking his clothes off very slowly and folding that them. That was funny. That's okay, very that funny. got me. Yep. I like when, oh God, they're, they're watching that scene, I'm like, not enough sex scenes are funny. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So then Jamie gives Nola a birthday gift. He had hired some dancers to do a dance scene that is the only scene in the movie that's in color because the rest of the movie is in black and white. Which I guess was, I, I read a little more about it and I guess that Spike Lee was really into MGM musicals when he grew up. And so that was like his MGM oh. musical moment. He wanted to have like a musical dance scene because that was like what he liked growing up. I thought that was really cool. Nice. Also, yeah. the song that the dancers are dancing to is about how Nola sucks. fucks a bunch of dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the song absolutely sucks shit. It does. It's, <laughs> it's not that great. Sorry. Mr. Lee, Mr. Spike Lee's dad, but I don't like it. He's listening. Bill. His name was Bill Bill. Lee. Bill's alive. He's he's 93 years old and kicking. Well, Bill, when I get back to Brooklyn, I'll reach out and I'll say. But it's also just wild that that's the song that they're dancing to that like about something that Jamie is very threatened by. He's like, yeah, my girlfriend is fucking a bunch of other dudes and I constantly bring up how I hate that, but I wrote a song about it. I do think that that like ties into, I mean, especially because we watched it back twice and watching that scene back the second time, knowing where Jamie's storyline goes, is like, this is a very fucked up way to behave. Mm. Uh, But even so, it's like so much of this movie is like knowingly so, this isn't even a criticism of just like, different men with different backgrounds and different personalities lashing out at the same woman for not giving them what she wants, even though she repeatedly tells them that's not what she's going to do. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, they become more and more conniving and like strategic and expensive. Like what he's, Mm -hmm. he composed and like rented out space and hired (laughs) dancers. They had to rehearse probably to criticize her at her. Like (laughs) that was her birthday present. Right. Hey, you fuck a lot and I don't like it. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> and you're just like, this is so much work. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Meanwhile, Greer is recommending that Nola see a sex therapist because he thinks that she has a sex addiction. Because, but and he, he thinks that because she's not giving him what he wants. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then Nola invites her three boyfriends over for Thanksgiving dinner so that they can all meet each other. And again, they're all quite threatened by each other. Can we discuss how this seems like a nice thing to you and a truly terrible thing to me <laughs> oh, and Jamie? <laughs> we, we were like, real absolutely reckoning. not. We had a and you were real like, reckoning. This is ideal. I was like, I would do that. Oh my God. I think we really learned about each I truly like in a good friendship way where Kenny's and I were like, oh wow, this is the stuff of nightmares. And Kevin's like, this is kind of a sexual fantasy. Of yeah. <laughs> it's true. But you know, it's good to know. Now we know each other. Yeah, better. now we know each other. And now so do you know, all of I our listeners. Help facilitate yeah. that. I, you know, I will. If one of your exes or currents is like, hey, we'll do that for your birthday. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Thanks. Yeah, we'll get all your exes in a room and then we're like, we're going to see ourselves. Now. What exes? <laughs> you have to have partners to have an ex. Okay, now it's getting <laughs> personal. Now I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, so they have Thanksgiving dinner together and then they all play Scrabble together. That's that my was, favorite part that of the was movie. Cute. Okay, so then Nola has a dream that Jamie's, Greer's, and Mars's girlfriends all 
come over, accuse Nola of stealing their men, and then set Nola on fire. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's just a nightmare. Then Jamie confides that he started to see another woman mm-hmm. and that he's not like Nola and he can't see multiple people at once. So she has to make a choice. So she's still kind of like, as far as he sees it, she is stringing him along. Mm-hmm. So he leaves her. Then Opal tries to make a move on Nola. But While she's like, hey, I'm having a tough time. I know. It's I not like, working out Opal, with a guy. She's like, this the is the moment room. to put my tongue in your mouth yeah yeah and like does fully surprise kiss noah who is not responsive to the kiss at all mm-hmm. and then it's like hey you should go mm-hmm. uh then noah calls jamie and tells him to come over she really needs him then he does come over and trigger warning uh, he rapes her unclear if the movie really understands what's happening yeah. or not mm-hmm. which is like a whole discussion we'll have yes then Nola reconnects with her former roommate, Clorinda. She breaks up with Greer and Mars. She goes back to Jamie and asks him to take her back, which he presumably does. But the next and final scene of the movie is her addressing the camera one last time, saying that it didn't work out with Jamie. She's not a one-man woman. And she's like, you know, this is my mind. This is my body. We can kind of unpack the whole monologue later. But she gives this like powerful monologue. And then she gets into bed by herself. And that is the end of the movie. Let's take a quick break and then we will come back to discuss. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back in the same room. Wow. Wow, We're we're still all here together. Wow, we didn't leave. (laughs) Where shall we start? Is anything jumping out? There's so much to talk about. I know. I guess just to kind of generally speaking, I appreciate that it is a movie about a woman who likes to have sex Mm -hmm. she wants a number of different partners something that like most people judge her for but as she's constantly saying in the movie like this is my life my body my choice and ultimately like the movie allows her to do whatever she wants she's not judged by the movie she's judged by the other characters right you know it's just like it's her setting the record straight and showing people that she's not some like quote deviant or like quote freak and that that's a perfectly fine thing for a woman to have a large sexual appetite i have a weird question Mm -hmm. yeah who is like i know spike lee is the maker of this movie but the person behind the camera has like even an interaction with spike lee where he's like bone in oh you know like this so it indicates that there is someone there and i i was just like Mm. what is this that's a really good question i don't really know the answer like like, who was who is supposed to be making this? And is it because this is such a strange thing that this woman has sex or like, right. yeah, I don't, right. like I didn't totally get that. I didn't even, I think that, I think I, that didn't even register for me because it's so normal for someone to talk to like talking head in a void Yeah. now where it's like, what was the office being filmed for? Yes. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, a woman whose sexual habits are so abnormal for 1986 that we're making a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, whoa. I don't know. And I then, because I asked that partially because at first I was a little bit confused about the chronology because everyone's uh, scenes where they are looking directly to camera and talking seem to be happening after the events of the film. Yeah, yes. they're telling the story again. Yeah, so then they yeah. jump back and I'd be like, wait, where... Uh, part of me was like maybe i'm just like not smart enough but like i was like a little bit thrown in some scenes like when is this is Mm this when we see her sleeping with these different people is this before the other thing oh this is all happening simultaneously okay no i think you're too smart because i i didn't even that didn't (laughs) even occur to me i was just like boing (laughs) (laughs) yeah the way that like a reality show will have like the talking head interviews where they're talking about something that clearly happened in the past but they're talking about it like it's currently happening where it's like kim is like chloe obviously has an issue with shirt and (laughs) like which could be a person or a shirt and and it's like making it seem like this just happened or like they're just talking but it's like clearly it's weeks later yeah but the tense of it talks about like 
I don't know. Yeah, but no, that Kanisa, that's a great question as far okay. as like who is like the characters who are directly addressing someone who is presumably asking questions. Yeah. Right. Who is that person? Who? What is that entity? <laughs> we don't have Stumped. an answer, but that is a really good question. <laughs> oh, I feel good about myself. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think especially like having to like repeatedly put myself in the mindset of this movie and these themes coming out in 1986. It's like, that is mm-hmm. a pretty huge thing to have happened and to have like been extremely successful. And we'll talk about the production of this movie, but basically this movie was made for like very, very, very mm. little money. And then ended up making $7 million in 1980s money yeah. and like became this huge thing and like launched Spike Lee's career. And mm-hmm. the fact that his first movie was about, the sex life of a black woman who was very empowered and like was, I don't know, like it, it, I'm like, this just didn't happen. Like it's right. really cool. And, and I think like from like a male auteur, I've, we got to think of a better way to say that because it feels bad coming out of my mouth. Uh, <laughs> but like from, from an auteur who's a guy, you know, a first movie where it's like Spike Lee puts a lot of his own himself in his main character who is a woman and like gives her the agency he would give himself in that, like Mm -hmm. where it's like, there's just like details of Spike Lee's young life that are in Nola's where it's like, he's raised by artists and like Mm -hmm. was raised with this very strong sense of artistic integrity and like was, you know, and which you can tell because his family is literally in the movie supporting his art and contributing their (laughs) own art Uh into it. And it's like, those are all qualities that he gives to Nola. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's like, I don't want to like over credit, but also it's like, you just don't see it a lot of Mm -hmm. like a a male auteur, not one to oneing themselves into a movie, which is, I feel like, I mean, auteurs in general are kind of just like, well, here I am. This is me. Pretty Mm -hmm. interesting. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, he's like, you know, thinking, I don't know. Yeah. Imagine. I totally agree. Although that said, would I like to see a movie about a like very sexually free and empowered woman having been written and directed by a woman? Yes. Yes, I would yes. like to see that. Because <laughs> um, there, like, there are specific things about this movie that like aren't great. They're very of the time. But the general premise I can still get behind. Like I do sure. like commend Spike Lee for... You know, like not having such an enormous ego that he. Yeah, I guess like... that's more of what it is. Because it's like, I mean, the scenes that are between women in this movie, of which there are not many. Mm-mm. I, you know, even if I didn't know this was a Spike Lee movie, I'd be like, I don't think this was written by a woman. <laughs> I just am not feeling that. I don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. I do want to say before we, we move past it, that apartment <laughs> has 20 foot ceilings at least. Yeah. Full windows, multiple large. windows. I looked for an apartment in Brooklyn at the beginning of last year and they would be like, you have one window. OK, <laughs> it's the living room window. And we actually built a wall halfway through the window so that technically the bedroom also has a window, which is required by law. OK, <laughs> <laughs> so the idea that this woman has like I wasn't counting, but I did. I think I clocked at least like six windows, mm-hmm. 20 foot ceilings, enough space for a queen size bed to have a whole altar built around it. And yeah. that's not like well, Phantom of the Opera style, yes. like 
burning candles. It's a, it's a big old metaphor, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. I believe yes. the word is meaningful shelf. Sorry, it's a bunch of meaningful, <laughs> meaningful shelves. Shelf. Thank you. The meaningful I appreciate shelf of candles. That. And it's overlooking the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm-hmm. Today, today, <laughs> yeah. they would have, that would be, that would have been divided into like four one bedroom apartments because they would have built uh-huh. up the floor right With in the middle of the room. a window apiece. <laughs> yeah. Like millions of dollars now and she lives there by herself as someone who does layouts in magazines yeah is that I what wonder, she does i yes. think so yeah she's a graphic designer and it's like i i do when i'm like i wonder it sounds like based on your description that it was also unrealistic when it came out but i wonder how unrealistic yes because i think it it's hard how do i put this now white people live in brooklyn mm-hmm and I guess in the 50s, based on that movie with Trisha Ronan, they did too. But like for a while, <laughs> oh, right? for a while, they did like, it. Okay. Heavily, heavily gentrified. Yeah. 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 So I was like, maybe, maybe this is fucked up. But we're like white people so afraid of black people that they were like, nah, not even with good real estate. Nah, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> Sorry. Nope. Not going to do it. Just Fucking truly absurd. wild. There is some commentary in the show, in the, in the series that got adapted from this movie about like because it takes place in the same neighborhood oh, okay but there's a lot of commentary on like gentrification and there's more like class commentary and stuff like that so mm. a lot of the things that i don't care for about the movie get course corrected in the show although the show's not perfect and i've read some criticism about that that i was like oh yes good point but, Does um, it have the language of like polyamory, ethical, non-monogamy, all that mm-hmm. stuff? Okay. okay. Yes. So in the show, Nola Darling identifies as a sex positive, polyamorous, pansexual. Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which does not happen in the movie. And I and I don't even like personally fault Spike Lee for that. That just wasn't popularly understood language. Right. Not, not that it wasn't being discussed, but it wasn't being discussed in popular movies. Right. Yeah. I mean, should we should we talk about that element of the movie? Yeah. Again, like this is a story about a woman who like embraces her large sexual appetite. Mm-hmm. It's not like demonizing a sexually liberated woman the way that like whole genres of movies do like we we talked about like film noir this happens in a lot of like horror slasher movies but this is just like a a character study about a woman who likes to have sex she's extremely open not only about her sexuality but like with her partners about right the other partners she has they know their names yeah Yeah, they They all know one another's giving together yeah like i yeah, and again, it's like I'll qualify this by saying I'm not polyamorous, and I might not get things right, and I apologize if so. I like want to understand more, but it's it's interesting to see a character who like Nola is so it's it's part of what makes the three men so frustrating. Is Nola is extremely straightforward she's very honest like even in moments where in my head just with movie brain i think she's going to lie she doesn't Mm -hmm. like and there's a there's a moment where she's in bed with jamie and mars calls her and they have a quick talk she hangs up jamie says who was that and in my movie brain i'm like she's gonna lie Mm -hmm. but she says it was Mars. And I was like, she is giving you all the information. She tells Mars. <laughs> Mr. Please, I gave you all the clues. <laughs> She's literally <laughs> writing a snowman note every morning, noon, and night Constantly. to multiple people. That, it's so much Sometimes work. she's reveling in it. Yeah. Just being like, when he's like, do you want to go to the Caribbean with me? And she's like, I don't think I could stand being alone with you for more than... <laughs> 
for two <laughs> weeks two at weeks. a time. And she's like smiles as she said it like, you're the worst. <laughs> I was like, damn. But true. But she like, she's very honest and yeah. upfront with all of her partners. And so the fact that they are like in that, whatever, like mental loop of like, let me try the same thing over and over, even though I have all the information I need and I'm expecting a different result. It's mm-hmm. like, until they become angry at her. Yeah. For something they she weren't hasn't done. Listen, like they weren't listening right. and they trust that they know her better than she knows her. Mm-hmm, and it's yeah. this thing that's like the underlying assumption is like, you're saying that, but you don't really mean it. And I'm going to go based on, because I know you so well, I'm going to assume what your actual intentions are. I'm going to assume what you actually mean. And I'll go based on my assumption. And when you don't do the things that I assumed... I will accuse you, you of being sick. <laughs> like in the case of Greer, I mean, that's like something that really, I mean, it is, it's, I don't think it's like callously played for laughs. I think it like works in the way it's presented, but it's very clear because the three men in this movie are just like in different ways, also embarrassing <laughs> and like hard to watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Greer, I mean, his, I mean, he has, he has a lot of stuff going on, but like, he's very, very classist. He is insulted that, um, that Nola would have sex with someone of a lower class than he does. It mm. clearly really, really bothers him. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you just watch all these different characters find ways to attack each other and the woman that they are saying that they're in love with yes, and to shame her into being with them exclusively. And there's this scene where Greer's new approach is that he's going to say that she's addicted to sex and that something is wrong with her. And that's something that comes up again and again with Nola Mm -hmm. that the movie for the most part, and well, but like the most part seems aware that it's like, the people accusing Nola of deviance are projecting their own insecurities onto her. She is not deviant. She is a, horny person who is being very honest like yeah. so what do you want from her she's giving she's giving you all the clues mr policeman <laughs> um but in that scene like greer says like i think you need to see a doctor yeah and like cut to nola i'm like why did nola agree to go see yeah. the doctor i that was a question i had of like she clearly knows but she like whatever if she's appeasing him whatever it is mm-hmm. she goes to this sex therapist who's also this very like comedy character and Mm -hmm. very like I feel like in the way that a lot of 80s and 90s and even like 2000s and sometimes 2010s (laughs) uh, therapists are like stylized of like they're very arrogant and they're talking down to you and Mm -hmm. they like think they know what's best for you but even so even though it's like you have this like therapist who's like NYU accreditation is very prominently displayed on the wall (laughs) and it's like when Spike Lee went to NYU I'm sure that's a loaded thing to do whatever (laughs) but even so the arrogant therapist is like there's nothing wrong with her she's a perfectly healthy person cut Mm -hmm. to Greer being like women doctors (laughs) right (laughs) like what does she know so just like these men could not have more information (laughs) (laughs) And Nola is being, I think, like, in some cases, overly generous with her energy to, like, put their minds at ease and to, like... She's so accommodating. Yeah, she's... I'm just, like... Too accommodating. God. Yeah, yeah, because they're either, like, accusing her of saying she's sick, she's a freak, she's a sex addict, saying things like she's not capable of loyalty or devotion or commitment or love, even. They're all threatened by each other and just, like, they're constantly attacking her for things that again she's always been extremely upfront about and that they just refuse to understand because like you said Kenise they are making assumptions 
about her and they think that they know her better than she knows herself. But I also think that they're probably, they're just like pulling from stereotypes about women in general. the police because that's not allowed (laughs) anymore. They're like, we didn't have all the clues. (laughs) Where they're like, you know, just like the idea that like women want marriage and babies and to have a very domestic life. And and they're the ones who want it so bad. They're the ones who want that. From the moment you see Jamie, you're like, this guy wants to be a wife guy so fucking hard. (laughs) Which is just like, and there's nothing wrong with that but the fact that he's like weaponizing that and projecting that onto a person who keeps telling him that's not what she wants at least at this phase in her life because i i do like how the script gives us like little insights into into nola's life where like she hints at like i want a family someday but i just that's not where i'm at right now that's not how i want to live right now Mm -hmm. so have five kids Mm-hmm. which i'm like well run that back and see how you feel in a couple <laughs> years she's in her like mid-20s you know that'll scale down over time but <laughs> but even so it's like she repeatedly is like that's not where i'm at right now like yeah. i don't i want to it's so <sighs> frustrating <laughs> yeah. i want to unpack the her like closing monologue sure um, so she starts by explaining that the celibacy thing didn't work out because she had told Jamie that she was going to be celibate for a while. And then she says that she shouldn't have gone back to Jamie in the first place, implying that things didn't work out with him. And she's absolutely correct that she shouldn't have Thank gone back God. to him. I mean, yeah. And then she says uh, about Jamie, he wanted a wife, a mythic old fashioned girl next door. But it's more than that. It's about control. My body, my mind, who is going to own it, them or me? I am not a one-man woman. And then she goes on to say, you know, so there you have it from a number of people who all claim to know what makes Nola Darling tick. And then she says, I think they might know parts of me, dot, dot, dot. And then she gets into bed. And It's a great, I really love the ending. And it comes after such a tumultuously frustrating 10 to 15 minutes before that Mm -hmm. it is shocking to me that he sticks the landing at the end of something that okay so should we do do you have more to unpack on that just to say that like i'm pleased that that is like the final note of the movie that that's like the button we end on because Again, the, the, like the movie had been building up that we're seeing her like we, we, we see the men that she's with getting worse and worse as the movie goes on. Yeah. She's getting more and more frustrated with them. She breaks up with all of them at one point, but then gets back together with Jamie in a decision that we all find baffling. Yes, yes. <laughs> But then for the final moment to be like, yep, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have gone back to him. I'm setting the record straight. This is who I am. It's about me, my body, my mind, my choices. I own all of this. So I was very pleased that that's like. And then Kenny's, I mean, the more that you like, I'm just going back to what are they filming her for? (laughs) Because that brings me back to, I was just looking at, I had some of the opening monologue in my notes and Mm -hmm. she starts by saying, I want you to know the only reason I'm consenting to this is because I wish to clear my name. I'm like, so whoever's has a vested interest in her Mm. having more than one boyfriend. Like it's so confusing but i do think like those whatever the the movie very intentionally begins and ends it in the same place and i like there's now i find the beginning of that monologue at the start of the movie to be 
uh, I have questions, but <laughs> she ends it on like, some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it better yet. I don't believe in labels, which is like mm-hmm. another great thesis statement for her character. And then also when I, any other time you cut to her, like talking head in her bed, she's really like reading these men very, very clearly where she's just like, you know, I found two types of men, the decent ones and the dogs. She calls them weak. She calls them all these like, uh-huh. And I feel like it's implied in that montage that she's so aware that all of these men are shitty that she's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not in no rush to settle down with any of these guys. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, yeah, like I, I like how she's, she has like those moments and I wish that she got, I mean, she does get a lot of opportunities to stand up for herself to these men but they just stick around and it's like to the point where I'm like I don't know why she keeps talking to them I don't know why they're still hanging around yeah we gotta break up this group it's not working (laughs) because there are moments where it's like when Greer is aggressively like you are sick for having sex with people who aren't me Mm -hmm. and she she like fires right back and is like well fuck you I'll never see you again basically Mm -hmm. but then she goes to the doctor anyways and I'm just like this is a little Mm -hmm. confusing I I loved the scene when she does finally break up with Greer at the end and he's like, I'm so mad. He's like, you don't mean it. (laughs) Wait, you're the worst. You don't know anything. I'm going to date a white woman. And I was like, wow. And then storms off the pier. Or like like, when he invites her to the, he's a terrible person, but he was, I think maybe one of my favorite characters in this, but (laughs) yeah, he's like, they're on the roof and he's like, come to the Caribbean with me. And she's like, no. And he's like, whatever you it's right now. You got to tell me yes or no. And she's like, no. And he's like, okay, you don't have to rush. Like, give you, let me know by the week. Yeah. Take right. some time. Yeah. Think about it. Take your time. In the same way where it's like in that scene where she's like, oh, okay. I'm having sex with too many people. I'll start by not having sex with you. He's like, well, let's not rush. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe only have sex with me. I don't know. Like it's, yeah, there. Uh, the the writing of the movie is so fun, and like we we kept talking. I mean, whatever. Mars's character, how he can't not repeat back what has <laughs> just been said to him, or what also what he just said, um, <laughs> is so good. Like all the characters are so distinct, and it's so like again, it's like you don't want to like hand it to a man for identifying male <laughs> behavior too much, but it's like it is so funny to me how. And funny in the bad way, but how, how like all three of these men, they're so different, but they all have a different version of the same problem. And mm-hmm. the way that it manifests is very different, which is just like what you're saying, Kenise. They think that they know what this woman wants better than she does, which is, of course, not true. And so it works out for none of them yeah. because yeah. why would they? I just wish. Right. They, um, Before we move on to like, the heavy heavy discussion Mm -hmm. i would like to ask did you guys feel like there were any scenes that set up these relationships in a positive way like i feel like all of them were set up in like a here's clearly a failing or like this is like how it's incongruous but like was there a moment and i think it's supposed to be after he stalks her down the street and they have a conversation (sighs) is that the moment we're supposed to see them together and have something positive that we then root for or that was one of the moments in the movie where I didn't necessarily feel like the movie knew that that was f- fucking extreme. Oh, the movie doesn't understand that because at all. there's like doodle do 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 and there's a man the actively stalking a woman and even the shots are kind of like leering and yes, you're seeing her from scary. behind like it's true crime footage <laughs> and then at the end Nola's just like waiting for him near a subway stop and she's like 
oh like Tee-hee, you were following never thought me. you'd get here and then he's like i gotta see you again and you're like this is oh, not why? this is not good yeah so what happens here is that before we know how they met we see a scene with them together it's that very like sensual scene where they're like making love i'm so sorry I just said that <laughs> i'm a virgin again <laughs> It regrew. I'm sorry. It's back. diamonds are a lie. I get that, but you get it. It was a joke. Okay. It's back. <laughs> it's back. <laughs> but and she says something like, you know, most men don't know how to like touch a woman, but like you're really good at it. Whatever. His massage looked weak sauce, dude. Yeah. He, his hands were at angles. You couldn't get the strength <laughs> to get into muscles be nice like to that. People. <laughs> I was like that was awesome. <laughs> so I felt I thought as though that their relationship was like from that first scene. I was like, mm. oh, this does seem like mutually respectful, and you know, it seems sweet and nice. And then that's when Nola is like, she makes a comment like, it seems that men are taught not to be in touch with themselves and their yeah. true feelings. I was like, cool, yes, generally very true. Uh, then she says. And then you should hear some of the things that men say. And then that's when we get that montage of a bunch of different men delivering very corny pickup lines. There's a hot dog joke in there. There's a hot oh dog USDA joke. certified 10 inch premium beef. Tube <laughs> steak. Tube steak. Oh, oh I forgot oh. you said tube steak. I, wow. I don't want to think tube when I think of a penis. I really don't. I think about tube steak a lot, but oh, it's not okay. sexual. Okay. Yep. Um, it's because that's my job. <laughs> Uh, all this to say (laughs) nola is clearly not impressed with this tactic of picking up women and then she's like but one guy was different and then we cut to a scene where jamie stalks her and then and you're like this is the different guy (laughs) it is different but in a horrible way but (laughs) it's different yeah like those guys were creepy this guy is stalking you (laughs) it's a different It's, it's i was kind of i mean and i honestly thought we were being set up with something a little bit different with jamie that i mean what well, this isn't a criticism of the movie but i sort of thought it was like the premise of the movie was something that you wouldn't see in movies of the 80s of like a woman who is not interested in a monogamous relationship and a man who very much is mm-hmm. like that's not something you get very often and i was like oh we're being set up with these characters that you know don't have the socially prescribed desires right but then jamie just turns out to be a rapist Mm -hmm. and so i didn't see that happening (laughs) but but i do think that that is like i don't know i mean it's so complicated because i do think that in some ways and i wouldn't include the, the rape scene i just i mean i feel at least better that spike lee regrets it because i think it just like complicates so much in the movie in a way that is not necessary mm-hmm. and turned my stomach and was triggering so yeah. but um but in the way that like okay i'm talking this out in real time yeah but when you're presented with a character who's like a man who wants a monogamous relationship i feel like they're almost presented to you like they're from then on are above criticism because that's so unusual and like oh a man who just wants to be with mm-hmm. one person well then i guess we love this guy so the fact that jamie wants a monogamous relationship and turns out to be a fucking despicable person like mm-hmm. also not something that it, you see in movies very often however i think that he's still a despicable person even if you don't include a rape scene of our protagonist that is upsetting and shouldn't be in the movie. Totally. Because again, (sighs) the whole movie is him and the other two men constantly sucking, (laughs) sucking and being mean to her. It's like, yeah, yeah. 
she sticks around even though you're meat like come on okay it's very frustrating you guys but can we uh we get that discussion out of the way yeah i you know trigger warning again because we do have to talk about the rape scene in this movie that i just did not see coming at all mm-hmm. there's been a lot written about this movie but like this scene in particular because it is like shown i mean very clearly it is a rape scene mm-hmm. where it and it's a violent rape scene and when you may whatever when it when you see like that decision being made you're like what is even more important is like what happens in the scene after and like how is this movie going to mm-hmm. handle the fuck because if you're making that creative choice you better fucking know what is going to happen after and you better deal with that mm-hmm. hugely triggering creative decision you just made and this movie does not do that they make you know they make you really sit in this horrible moment for nola mm-hmm. and then the next scene Ugh, and this just felt like a knife twist in a way that was so frustrating as a viewer is the only scene you get with her and her friend um, is her name Clorinda. Clorinda who you've seen Clorinda before because she's participating in this grad student's <laughs> documentary about some lady he met. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and we find out that, you know, that Clorinda and Nola were roommates. They had a falling out and, then it seems like Nola reaches out to Clorinda mm-hmm. in the fallout of this rape. And I was like, okay, maybe this is going to be a scene where let's see what happens, you know, like let's see how Nola brings it up. But she kind of doesn't like what happens is very, I don't know. This was a scene to me that I was like, this was written by a man who did not know how to write this scene mm-hmm. because Nola is saying things like, I think I really fucked up this time. Jamie really hates me. Mm-hmm. And Clorinda replies by saying, oh, I don't even want to know what you did to make him feel that way. And it's like, they're kind of like circling around. They don't even talk about what actually happened really. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And it's implied in the scene that Nola feels like what happened to her was her fault, which again is something that a lot of people who have been assaulted, like, feel Mm -hmm. but this movie is not interested in that conversation and that's not what's happening in this scene it's I think one of the few and like a really egregious moment of the movie being out of its own depth like it's just not equipped to handle this plot point and I don't understand why you would fucking put it there like it's Mm -hmm. yeah it's awful what did take me by surprise is that she then in the scene after that I think is talking to Jamie Mm -hmm. uh, and She's saying, she's telling him that she wants to be celibate for a while. He's questioning why. Well, it's implied that like this rape like prompts a change in her and like inspires monogamous, like that happening to her is what changes her mind, quote unquote, between wanting to date multiple people into just wanting to date Jamie. Like it's just such a, uh, such a dangerous creative mm -hmm. choice to make to be like, okay. And then he... I mean, he, he rapes her. And then all of a sudden she's like, you know what? I'm dismantling my Phantom of the Opera bed. Like there's all these symbolic mm-hmm. things that happen yeah. to indicate that her getting raped was actually a good thing. Like a wake up call, the wake love. up call she needed or something like That's, that. So you guys <sighs> both saw this movie more recently. I saw it well before me too. And mm-hmm. just how we discussed it was fundamentally different as though like this is, interesting. this is 
kind of like, well, you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. It was just like very much so like the discussion was, this is the wages of whoredom. And if you whore around, this is what's going to happen. And just... I'm so happy to rewatch it under like mm-hmm. a not super Christian, not super like Southern, not all of these other lenses that I was viewing it through. Sure, sure. Because yeah, that was, and like, so when she meets up with Clorinda, Clorinda is playing the upright bass or the cello. It's got to be the upright bass based on the fingering, but yeah. she's playing that song Nola. And so for it to go right. right from like a violent rape scene to be like, here's the theme of the movie, you know, just do, 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 this do, is do, 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 natural course of progression. And the song about how she, she's, fucks, around. she fucks around. Oh my God. I didn't even connect that. Mm. God, that is, I, I would love to hear. I mean, the the nature of the discussion you were having in school that's like i feel like we've had stuff like that pop up on the show quite a bit of like just the conversation that we had like 10 years ago was just so fucking wildly different mm-hmm. um i i went to um in a lot of the like modern and most of them were written when the netflix series came out mm-hmm. so like 2017 2018 about how this plot point was originally reviewed when the movie came out in 1986, I think is also very telling about just where discourse was at at this time. And and also keeping in mind that in 1986, the vast majority of movie critics were white guys. Mm-hmm. So this was from the New York Times in 1986. He says, uh, Mr. Hicks, the actor who plays Jamie, Mr. Hicks gives Jamie a depth and passion that escapes other men. It is telling that when Jamie's patience gives out and he turns rather shockingly brutal to Nola, his violence seems natural and does not diminish interest in or sympathy with the character. Uh, this is the Wait, New York Times that? review. Uh, Mr. Times, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I, I, it, it was a white male film reviewer at the, at the New York Times at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the fact that it's like, it was such a prevalent, like, it's exactly what you're describing, Kinesis, of Like, well, she took things too far and this is what happens to women who take things too far where it's like, they it just... No, uh, you're a man and you've lost your power where here's a way to get it back like uh, right like yeah. and just implying that like yeah the implied like well of course that would happen when it's like there's not i don't think a frame of this movie where she's being dishonest or not completely straightforward with him and it is it's it's interesting because i think that there's moments in the movie where it felt clear to me that the movie was like he's getting in his own way his false expectations and his like ego and his masculinity is like what's preventing him from listening to her but Mm -hmm. then but then it takes this turn at the end and like gives him the power back and then at the last second gives it back to nola but it just doesn't deal with what happened and and i just don't understand yeah yeah should we talk so spike lee Mm -hmm. has been asked about this in at least two interviews that I found one was from 2014 and then another was from um, 2017 when the show came out. Mm-hmm. He's, he was basically, it was a question that he was asked about like, do you regret anything? Mm-hmm. Any to quote my favorite <laughs> misspelled tattoo, any regrets? <laughs> um, so he says this in 2014, mm-hmm. uh, you know what my biggest regret is the rape scene and she's got to have it. If I was able to have any do overs, that would be it. It was just totally stupid. I was immature. It made light of rape. And that's the one thing I would take back. I was immature and I hate that I did not view rape as the vile act 
that it is. Mm-hmm. He qualifies in 2017. Um, there will be nothing like that. And she's got to have it. The TV show, that's for sure. Which mm-hmm. it sounds like is very true. Right. I mean, I've only seen the first four episodes, but I don't imagine there is a scene in which nola gets street harassed and then assaulted and then that's actually what prompts her female friend to suggest that she starts seeing a therapist and that therapist character becomes someone that nola sees in multiple episodes so that whole thing is handled differently is it handled perfectly i would say no but it is certainly handled handled better than it was in the movie Uh, Sorry, I cut you off earlier. You were talking about what happens in the last scene together where I think, did we get to the point where Nola does say to Jamie, like... So that's what took me by surprise. Yes. Where, so she calls it a near rape and she's saying that's why I'm going to be celibate for a while. Um, Or that she says like, that's, you know, I'd rather not get into it, but don't you think that your near rape of me is a good enough reason? I was surprised that I was surprised they the used writing, the word. Yeah. Yeah. It even gets mentioned and identified, although a near yeah. rape is not how I would. But then Jamie responds by saying, I've never done something like that in my life, which I think implies mm. like, well, maybe if you hadn't like, it just implies that she, her behavior forced him to do that to her. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Which, so... He's still acting like, on that bench, he is still acting very much so like the wronged party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the blame is on you, Nola. Yes. And you've got to convince me to <sighs> let you back into my life. And then that yeah. weird slow motion shot that isn't slow motion. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oddly not. <laughs> it's not slow enough. It needed to be slower. slower. Okay. Yes. I think that they were just like, um... Our, our editing budget we ran out just walked real slow but then Kinesi pointed out there's a bird that flies past and it seems kind of at regular time. speed I'm gonna be real mm. honest I was like mm, I don't I don't buy it I was like I, I get the spirit of it it's a low budget movie but yeah so in conclusion the handling of the assault in this movie was really wretched and yeah. but the, at the very least Spike Lee acknowledging that it was a mistake saying he regrets it didn't view it the way it should be viewed uh, you know as more than you get from most directors <laughs> right, right, looking true, back true. on their work like again it's like i don't mean to overdo it but right. i'm just like no one is willing to have that discussion it's so frustrating yeah exactly and it's another like ego thing where uh, yeah. most you know auteurs who are men are unwilling to acknowledge that anything they ever did was wrong or a mistake or they're constantly defending their choices and that is horrible like to the detriment of their life like it's just so um yeah so I'm, i'm glad that spike lee is willing to have the discussion and just and also like apply it to the next version of of the um of the intellectual I property almost, I, almost said, I know i was like i don't want to say ipo wow that makes me feel <laughs> ill it's um, the world we're living in baby i Truly. know ip universe baby let's take a quick break and then we'll come back for more discussion bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Okay, Okay. let's banish Jamie from Mm. the... Should, should we have, and I think we've kind it's of so covered for Greer. When you're saying banish Jamie. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, but you but. are part of it. I'm leaving. <laughs> Let's banish Jamie. I'm Jamie. I'm out. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm going home. <laughs> we've covered, I, I, I think, does anyone else have anything for the Jamie character? I'm going to stay. <laughs> I'm glad you're Thank staying. Goodness. Thank you. Uh, I will now call air quotes, nice guys, toxic nice guys, you know. Mm -hmm. I will now call them Jamie Overstreet's because that was a wonderful example of exactly the thing. So like when she's talking about like how lame other dudes are who ask her out and how he was different. Yeah. It is also this dichotomy that she's talking about where like air quotes, nice guys and dogs because Mm -hmm. like Uh the the dogs are coming up to her and like, ooh, you want to touch my penis? But Mm -hmm. the nice guy will literally stalk you. (laughs) 
right take everything you do personally and then assault, like yeah that's right I that's think, a nice guy that's the sweet guy i think it almost like it it almost feels like it ties to like the nerd thing too of like feeling like, Oh, I'm not the traditionally extremely egotistical masculine personality. Therefore you should be thrilled that I'm interested in you. And in fact, you belong to me. And like, Mm -hmm. and he gets so, I think that he like, yeah, like almost overestimates the value of his performance of niceness. Nice guys always do that. Yeah. They're like, I'm not like those other guys. I'm a different kind of unstable. Like, <laughs> and if you don't respond to me the way that I want you to, I will lash out in ways you couldn't imagine. Yes. Like it's just, it, yeah, it's not like a one-to-one there, but it does feel like just in terms of a level of entitlement, it feels kind of similar. And and then with Greer, you get something totally different where he literally refers to her as an object in his opening monologue <laughs> where he's like, she was the clay, I was the sculptor. Like, yeah. he's literally like, women in ways are hunks of horny clay. Yeah. And you make them a statue and sometimes they don't want to be a statue. It's like, it's weird. Like a statue, I put her on a pedestal. <laughs> Perhaps an altar. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Um, but we haven't talked very much about uh, Mars, Mars, who is another fun flavor of uh, <laughs> Mars Black you- Man. <laughs> <laughs> that is his name. I'm not that, just saying yeah, that. That, that, is, that is, his is his name. It's true. And he's like immature misogynist. Like yeah. that's mm-hmm. his. Like a baby misogynist. <laughs> yeah. Where he's like, his his whole thing is like, I mean, I think that he he. We're supposed to think, you know, he's like the character that's closest in age and is more. I, th- I think that it's implied that like Greer and Jamie are like in their 30s and that like mm-hmm. Mars is a little bit younger and like he's kind of a mess. He doesn't have a job. He's like he has more of a traditional ego where he's always like over like clearly overstating his impact on the world and like making (laughs) shit up and like saying he knows famous people but like doesn't have a job (laughs) or has nothing going on and so it's like well well, that's not true you know like the movie also immediately undercuts he because he's like "Uh, women who act like this they have problems with their dad and then they do this wonderful nice thing about Mm -hmm. her family and how she was raised very well and loving which i thought was very effective commentary yeah right there's like this he says something like i think one of the reasons nola was having all that sex is because (laughs) doing all that boning he says (laughs) right Um, yeah he's he's the baby (laughs) he's the baby uh it's because her doing all that boning (laughs) uh is because she has a bad relationship with her father um, which is obviously like a very common attitude that like you know women have daddy issues especially the ones that are out there fucking um and then we cut to a scene where we meet nola's dad Uh who is played by bill lee spike lee's dad you cut from son to dad (laughs) yeah which is kind of fun um, and Nola's dad is saying how much affection and love they gave her when she was growing up. They like mm-hmm. paid for music lessons and dance lessons and all this stuff. And then right after that is a scene where Nola was like, you know, reminiscing about her childhood and the, the love her parents gave her and all that stuff, which is obviously like dispelling. It's just the myth so obviously that, not the issue. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Yeah. That like, um, Mars is this belief that he has that, you know, like horny women seek the affection of men because they have daddy issues. Horny women are the devil. And I think that like, (laughs) 
he takes that opportunity to kind of like go a step further too, in a way that isn't totally necessary, but I kind of liked it um, of like what Mars is implying is like, she's not marriage material, which he says in his opening monologue, yes. he's like, Oh, you, you know, mm-hmm. you want to be around a freak, but you don't want her to be your wife. Right. Or that's whatever. I think that's like basically what he says. Yeah. Yeah. And he's implying that like, Oh, this woman is not family material. And then at the end, Nola is like, and I want a family someday. Yeah. I had a great childhood and I love my parents and they love me. And we see that that's true. And then she's like, and I would like kids of my own someday. And so it's like, it's like well, this guy is just fucking wrong. Yeah. <laughs> what a goof. Um, he also uses uh, the very ableist R word, oh, R yes. word in the he first sure scene he's in. So the 80s were boo. different. And then, yeah, that was kind of all I had on mars okay yeah that's all i had to i mean i also think just like he in the same way that the other guys do just like can't take the hint and keeps pushing back on stuff like there's one scene where he i don't even really fault him for this but he he's just like i love you i think i'm falling in love with you and she sets the boundary again she's like well that's not where i'm at like we are in like yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) that's how you feel like hit the bricks kind of and then he says he accepts it in the moment, but then in the next scene is still like, I hate these other guys you're dating, like yeah. projecting on her again. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, is just trying to find all these, like he and Jamie have this bizarre rapport between the two of them. Cause Greer is like so classist towards Jamie and, oh, yeah. uh, and, and Mars that that's a non-starter. They're ne- yeah. never going to talk, but Jamie, Jamie and Mars kind of have this like weird anger-based friendship misogyny (laughs) thing going because they meet up again (laughs) they talk about basketball they talk about larry bird and how he's ugly (laughs) (laughs) they have a whole i thought it was a fun way for spike lee to get his basketball opinions into his first movie um if i ever make a movie i'm doing that (laughs) i know he's like well you might as well uh but you know to the point where mars is like oh let's split her up by days of the week yeah. you're just like oh my god you're so sick As also we you... did not involve her in this conversation right, no. like no of course not because he's like you get her for four days i get her for three and it's like that means that nola has to see one of you every day of the Ugh. week like what about the alone no. time she needs <laughs> and also i mean i and i think that like his character is such a goof that it's like he's half joking mm-hmm. yeah but he's not totally joking. no <laughs> which is if- which doesn't sit Jamie well was with like, me. okay, he'd be like, cool. And just again, I reiterate, I get weekends. I told you that. Yeah. Right. Dibs like, on a person. Yeah. Yikes. <sighs> awesome. Wow. Men are so mm, funny. Cool. <laughs> They're so cool. They have such good ideas. Can we talk about the other women in the movie? Let's talk about the other women in the movie. Well, there's not that much to nope. say. <laughs> I was like, let's just roll. Let's just power so through. <laughs> we get Clorinda, who is the former roommate that Nola had. And Slut shames her right away. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, they've stayed friends, but she's like, I couldn't live with her anymore because she was just always having different dudes over at the apartment. And then they, like you said, Jamie, they don't even interact until the end of the movie. They, looking past the scene that had just happened right before it, if you can kind of like just isolate that scene between Nola and Clorinda, you know, it's fairly sweet. It's, you know, Clorinda seems like a supportive friend, although. And I think that it's like, and I don't want to 
Because I don't necessarily think that the movie is like operating on <laughs> this level of like thinking of how women relate to each other. But I, I was like, I could see Clorinda's point of view from like an annoyed roommate stance yes. of like, mm-hmm. if your roommate is having really loud sex all the time to the point where it's interrupting with your quality of life, that's a discussion. Yes. But it doesn't, sure. but it sounds like he wasn't maybe thinking about it that hard. It made it sound like you're having too much sex and it bothers me. Yeah. Right. As opposed to like, I'm, you know, maybe, and I'm not pulling from my own experience here. Maybe you <laughs> podcast for a living. And <laughs> so audio quality is actually kind of important to your, and then someone's just fucking, 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 you know, against, and you're just like, well, this is actually a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's a discussion and then you, and then you move. <laughs> I, I, I will admit I would be pissed if I was like, Hey, I truly don't feel safe because of the, I don't know any of these men. I know none of their details Mm -hmm. and they're in my bathroom when I'm in a robe and I'm coming (laughs) in and given what I know that you've told me and for that roommate to just be like, you're not down, you're not cool, I'm on the lease, fuck off. I would be kind of like, you're like, well, can we have a discussion though? (laughs) And it also does, I mean, again, I just... I'm like, is it even worth, because I'm like, I just think that like maybe Spike Lee is not thinking about it that hard. And it's like, women don't like when other women have sex, multiple sexual partners. Yeah, like, no, I think it's like more it. like mon- he is assuming it's a monogamy brain thing. Mm. And I could be wrong there. That was my read of it. Well, we would know maybe if we had just seen more scenes between Nola <laughs> yeah. and Clorinda, yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, which we don't get. I will say this is another thing that the series improves on where we meet several of Nola's friends who are women. Some of them even have like arcs throughout oh. the show. Nice. Although I did read some criticism about that and other aspects of the show again. So it's, I don't want to be like the show is perfect and it fixes all of the problems of the movie. Sure. Um, but it certainly does improve upon them. Um, but yeah, with Nola and Clorinda, we like, we get really almost nothing there. It's the thing. It's like to the point where I guess we do have to like be grasping at straws here to be like, what did she mean when she said that? Because you just have no information <laughs> of why she said that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. The other women that we see in the movie, we see the therapist for one scene, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of more of an extended joke about therapy. I thought of like, it's not a completely negative interaction, but it's like, whatever i just i was like playing on a lot of like therapists be like this mm-hmm. and they're always like they think they're so much smarter than you and you don't want to go back uh which is i mean there's way more egregious versions of that commentary but it wasn't my favorite and also it's like mm-hmm. that the character never comes back yeah sure um yeah what struck me about that is the the therapist dr jameson says something like you know what we're all jamie energy on this movie oh yeah (laughs) seriously she says what we're all looking for is love and if you if what you want is total female sexuality the beautiful sex organ is between your ears not between your legs and it's like eyes roll back into your head (laughs) right it's like (laughs) again as nola clearly states she's not necessarily interested in love again she's like i want a connection with someone sure 
and I want to have sex with people. Yes, it doesn't necessarily have to be love. So I was like, all right, sex therapist seems like you don't really understand your job that well. But then right. she but finally like, says, I do believe that 80s sex therapists were saying mm, shit like probably. that. Though. I mean, I was like, I don't think that was they still existed nowhere. in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they're still out there. Some yeah. of them have gotten no additional training. And <laughs> that's true. And they're I've talked to them <laughs> as therapists. <laughs> they don't currently. give you booster packs no, as a therapist. Don't. I was told I had a porn addiction because I watch porn when I masturbate oh my god what yeah That's he was like do you think you i think we should start talking about addiction here and i was like addiction what? addiction sure. because i want to okay i uh there, there's i do think that that's well, if we have therapists who listen to the show, I would actually be curious of like, are you encouraged to get booster packs? Because my, and I know that that's not a, an <laughs> academic term. term. <laughs> and I'm talking in Pokemon terms because my, my IQ is two. But, um, but I am curious because it's like my mom is a teacher and teachers have to get booster packs all the time to yeah. remain employed. Like they, you have to be con like to the point mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, a burden to the teacher of like, you have to be constantly taking new classes and learn about new educational techniques. And like, if you're the same teacher you are when you start and when you end, you weren't doing your job correctly because you should be getting booster packs all the time. <laughs> Therapists should be getting those. Oh, 100%. But are, I, maybe some of them are. I don't know. I'll look at the APA guidelines for certification. Please hit us up. And that's just for psychologists. It's like different for psychiatrists and counselors. Right. <laughs> Come I, well, who knows? I have the same question for medical doctors. Sure. Are you getting updated information? Because it seems <laughs> right. like sometimes you really aren't. They're getting boosters from the pharmaceutical companies. Okay, I'm not going to go on a whole rant right now. <laughs> right. right. Oh, I, I guess what I'm saying is t- teachers are godlike figures. <laughs> And they're paid significantly less than therapists and doctors. Yeah. Um, not that we don't love therapists and doctors in theory. Some of them. In theory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen to the episode that you were on on Sludge. Yeah. A, a podcast that I did retire from. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and we say this, at, you know, as God's true soldiers. Podcasters. Podcasters. <laughs> so you have to take what we're saying really seriously because we went to school for... 20 years i have a master's degree in screenwriting from boston university and canice i have a master's degree in film production from boston university wow we do hate to bring it up that was okay i feel like shit and i think that (laughs) i think that's what boston university jamie went to the university that graduates people who actually work in the field (laughs) (laughs) oh no yeah fuck emerson (laughs) You know, I don't disagree. Uh, <laughs> had a terrible experience there. I'm don't sorry. like it. Um, that's okay. I, I, I enjoy saying it on mic. I relish saying it on mic. <laughs> I owe them so much money. Um, all right. <laughs> Let's talk. Should we talk about Opal? Yes. We haven't talked about Opal yes, yet. Yeah. That's, that's, I okay. think, our last remaining last woman. Last big <laughs> thing, I would say. So what, as far as my interpretation goes, with Opal, you have a pretty standard predatory lesbian trope at play here mm-hmm. where uh opal also says some very strange very incorrect things about human sexuality she says that you are neither born a lesbian or heterosexual we all have the capacity to go either way because uh, those are the only two choices yep, as far as sexuality goes it's and the most 1986 <laughs> like guy dialogue and again, Available. suggesting that sexuality is a choice. Yep. 
So that's, uh, of course, sexuality is fluid, but um, not a choice. So there's a scene early on. I think they are, there are only two scenes between Opal and Nola. The first one is Opal actively coercing Nola to have sex with her because Nola is expressing curiosity about like, what is it like to have sex with a woman as another woman? And Opal is just being like, well, you could find out if you just have sex with me right now. Um, uh, (laughs) Perfect, perfect. (laughs) At no point do they actually describe the ways in which lesbians have sex. And so I'm wondering, Mm. did Spike Lee know? (laughs) Was he like... I also wrote that down. I was like, asks the question, does not have a character answer. (laughs) He just put it in the movies. Let's let's go find out. He's just like, he's like, I'm listening. In the original, yeah, in the original cut, his address is at the end of the movie in case you want to write him. him It's like a P.O. box. I'm like, if you know how women have sex, do send a self-addressed stamped envelope to the following yeah so and then in a later scene when uh, we touched on this where nola is upset about her relationships falling apart opal seems to take advantage of nola's vulnerable state and kisses her without nola's consent and then that's the last we see of opal she like walks out of this scene and the movie so obviously that's extremely toxic to portray a queer character this way the series again does update and improve on this where opal is still a character uh, but rather than being coercive and like always trying to get nola to have sex with her again nola is pansexual and gets into a like loving and consensual relationship with opal for a while oh cool yeah so i do i mean i think that again it's like when you say like opal's character is a stereotypically predatory lesbian trope character like it couldn't be more true and it also like it doesn't feel like the movie has any idea that that trope even exists and i feel like it's because it's Mm -hmm. an auteur movie that was made on such a low budget i'm assuming that spike lee was not consulting with anybody about this (laughs) and so it's Mm. like the very 1980s prejudices are coming to the table in a way that has a cultural effect. If your first movie made for, you know, $175,000 happens to be, you know, put in the fucking library of Congress, which yeah. I believe this movie is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I, found, I found that to be so frustrating. And also because it's like, there's moments where it seems like the script is trying to characterize, not care. I mean, not really characterize her very much, but there's that scene with Jamie mm-hmm. and Opal where, Jamie is so clearly in the wrong and again projecting onto Opal in so this. rude. Yeah, he says, Opal, you're a very beautiful woman. I never would have thought you were gay. Like saying things that I think the movie does recognize that he is the prejudiced asshole in that mm-hmm. scene. But then there's other but then the way that Opal's character behaves, the movie doesn't have any idea that Right. Because like Opal responds to that comment from Jamie saying, like how a person looks has no bearing on their sexuality. And then he's yeah. like, yeah, I guess you're right. Which I think, yeah, is the movie's attempt to be like, I know about lesbians, see? But then the, right. but then everything else about Opal's character is like, no, you don't. But then no Spike about- Lee clearly does not. Again, it's just like, it just seems like Spike Lee's out of his depth with yeah. that storyline. For sure. Um, in a way that has a consequence because mm-hmm. it's a very famous movie. Um, yeah. I, want, I just wanted to give a little bit of context for the movie and mm-hmm. how it was received because we were talking about this off mic, but this movie was made for 
very little money. It mm-hmm. was originally shot on a budget of around 20000 ish dollars. Yeah. And then eventually raised enough money for it to have, I guess, a total budget of $175,000. But it just, again, we've talked about this with a number of filmmakers in the past, but just how marginalized filmmakers have such a steeper hill to climb to have their first project produced. Um, I forget what our last conversation about this was and but in comparison to a number of white male auteurs I think that Wes Anderson is always the one that we jumped to because it was like he got a multi-million dollar project based off of a two-minute short film that he made and they're like king like you've done it (laughs) you're the wonderkind give it to this child because I think he was like 26 when he made his first movie yeah yeah and it's and it's just like framed as like this hero's journey and Spike Lee is in his 20s when he makes this movie but it just like listening to the significantly more difficult time that he had in getting the movie made. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, I'm seeing here from our favorite scholarly journal, Wikipedia. Yeah, <laughs> the original like 12 day shoot began with eighteen thousand dollars from the New York State Council on the Arts, a ten thousand dollar grant from the Jerome Foundation. And five hundred dollars from the Brooklyn Arts and Cultural Association. Thanks! Wow, crafty <laughs> for <Yeah>. the day. <laughs> I'm sure that's all they could afford. Who knows? But um, and then it's insulting. <laughs> I'd be like, keep it. I I, I, I I'd, I'd use it. I'd take it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. Um, and then that wasn't enough to get the movie through post production. So then Spike Lee showed a rough cut at NYU. And he said, I'm Spike Lee, and I hope you liked this film. I'll be calling you soon about money. <laughs> Give me money. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, it's what he had to, he did yeah. what he had to do. But it's all that to say, it shouldn't have been that hard. I just, that Wes Anderson story always breaks my brain. It makes me so mad. Yeah. I'm never going to get over it. It haunts me. So, yeah. But I mean, fortunately, this movie was extremely successful. It like made $7 million at the box office off of a shoestring budget and mm-hmm. then completely, you know, like launched Spike Lee's career into the stratosphere. Another word that mm. I feel like is a kind of like goofy word, but um, <laughs> I, I, a meaningful I, sky. bitchy (laughs) i was gonna say with my words that i have control over um that we didn't mention this when we talked about the mars character but this is just such a bizarre i'm like i don't even know what to do with this the mars black men character was later used in nike commercials Mm -hmm. with michael jordan so like Someone at Nike, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people at Nike saw She's Gotta Have It. And their takeaway from the movie was, wow, Mars Blackman is such a cool character and he wears Nikes. We should have him make commercials with Michael Jordan for shoes. Like, it's such a weird idea. But the commercials are really funny. Isn't, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. I might be completely misremembering this. But wasn't the movie Space Jam basically made because there were commercials with again michael jordan and like bugs bunny and then they were like we should make a whole movie about this am i is that something or am i uh, i completely remembering that incorrectly i don't know no i i, I was literally gonna be like ask princess i don't know <laughs> i like prin- I, I assume that princess knows most fun facts about space jam <laughs> we might have talked about i'll just go back and listen okay. to the episode but i'm like that i was like that and if that's true for like Mars Blackman in a commercial with Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan in a later commercial with Bugs Bunny, I mean, Space Jam. 
Michael wow. Jordan is an effective marketer. <laughs> True. It's always been, I, but, but just like, I just think it's so bizarre that I don't know, like just the cultural impact of this movie is so gigantic that a, a B character from an indie movie <laughs> was in a Nike commercial. That's wild. Mm-hmm. That's so bizarre. I, I yeah. love it. I say, oh my gosh, that's so wild. But like truly the show that has won best comedy for like two years is based on an ESPN2 commercial. Right. Oh, Ted Lasso? Yeah. Right. right. Uh, yeah. You know, we just a- have to accept, yep, this is going to be the basis and sometimes the result of art. <sighs> I love intellectual property. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, um, does anyone have any other thoughts on the film? Uh, I've I've two hit, hit small us. closing thoughts. Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. Did you guys like her art? <laughs> her <laughs> art? I thought it was very eighties. Okay, cool. I was like, uh, I'm watching this and I'm looking at this art and I'm like, I don't think this is supplementing her income <laughs> to the point where she could afford this apartment. Is that wild? It, it, I I it, I just looked at it. I'm like, I think I literally looked at it and was like. I guess that's what art was like in the 80s, which is wild because I've seen art from the 80s and it doesn't look like that. Um, I That is one thing that we didn't say is like I appreciated. I, it sounds like the, it's given a lot more narrative significance in the TV show, yes. but that we do know what Nola does, even though it is kind of a Carrie Bradshaw situation of like, how could this lead to this home? <laughs> But we know what she does and we see that it matters to her. We see her working on it and we see enough of it that we can be like, it's not even that good. <laughs> I wouldn't hang it in my apartment. I also would not hang it's it not in It's not for me. Yeah. But I'm happy that it's afforded her a million dollar apartment. <laughs> so that's so someone's loving it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. And then what was your other? I've completely forgotten it. Please oh, okay. just delete that. <laughs> it's gone. I'm so sorry. My last thought was the real protagonist of this movie is New York City. <gasps> I love it. Don't you love a love letter to the city? But also, seriously, Spike Lee like used his own brother's photography of like Brooklyn to like mark the passage of time. I just mm-hmm. the family elements to this movie I thought were very sweet. That's like nepotism I can get behind. Because yeah. it's not even nepotism <laughs> if you need your family as employees on your movie. Like <laughs> right. he had like multiple people in his family he had working as like production assistants and it's like I will pay you if I can get the money. Mm-hmm. And so it was like it just seemed more like a I don't know like mickey rooney judy garland like we gotta put on a show folks like by any means necessary and like got it done and then i i mean i hope spike lee at this point has paid his family for working on she's gotta have it right he is a multimillionaire. yes i guess my final thought is that and i'm also i'm like basically horizontal right now i'm like lying <laughs> down so much you have started to <laughs> Sink. We were eye to eye, and now you've slept quite a bit. Part of it is I, and I might cut this out, but part of it is I have to poop so badly, and I'm just kind of like sitting <laughs> here trying to in. like leave it in. Leave I made in. those vegetables and chalked you That's full of true. fiber. Oh, and I've got ice Kinesis cream blowing our asses out tonight. I'm gonna go home and have an experience. <laughs> Yeah, so mostly this posture is me just holding. Oh my god! Okay, fin- let's finish. The- it passes the Bechdel test. No, I, I have this important thing to say that I'm going to oh, say. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, which is that that this is a movie again directed by a man in the '80s, a famously not very progressive time, uh-huh. that is mostly 
commenting on the toxicity of a lot of different types of men Mm -hmm. and empowering a woman, especially in a way that women have historically been so disempowered. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Again, there were missteps along the way. It wasn't handled perfectly in every regard, but that that is like what this movie boils down to is fucking cool. I agree. And I also, this was something that like was, Again, and this is like extreme grain of salt because this is what was brought up more in the time when it was first being reviewed. But uh, a movie that focuses on the sex life of a like middle to upper middle class black woman, which is like wasn't really happening. And Mm -hmm. um, a lot of reviewers sort of made note of like many of the popular stereotypes around black American characters at this time and how this movie just like existed outside of that world entirely. And Mm -hmm. it's like, here is our protagonist. Here are three shitty dudes. Let's go. Um, Right. And it always goes back to like, who's making the movies that perpetuate those stereotypes, shitty, uneducated white people. Right. And And sometimes highly educated. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, I have so many degrees and I still have not learned what black people are. What are they? (laughs) Do you know any? <laughs> Looking, and then they put their P.O. box at the end of the movie yeah. to be like, if you have any insight, please. <laughs> S-A-S-E. <laughs> um, um, yes. It does pass the Bechdel test, but not too not much. very much. <laughs> not enough that it gets scary. <laughs> I would, yeah, it's mostly between her and Opal, and those mm-hmm. conversations are, again, Opal trying to coerce her into sex. So yeah. it's not good. And then as far as our nipple scale, zero to five nipples, based on examining the movie through an intersectional feminist lens, oh, uh, I would go with like a three and a half, I think, for this one. Um, it's obviously getting some nippleage docked off for the extreme mishandling of the sexual assault and the predatory lesbian character, the... Failure to further explore Nola's relationships with any female friends and only just like getting a very small glimpse of that aspect of her life. This is a small thing and I'm sure it is like related to budget stuff, but I just thought it was like interesting that they showed her dad and they made mention of her mom being alive and well but at work and like could not comment on like <laughs> could we get like a shot a shot <laughs> that was very it would have been nice it to felt have her. weird when he said that yeah it was like and my wife we're still together she's at work <laughs> i kind of wonder if that was like a production thing of like we were supposed to but like spike's mom couldn't make it today and so they're like hey, he's like oh just say she's at work <laughs> or like if if <laughs> spike lee's mom is anything like my mom she does not want to be photographed so <laughs> Right. Uh, maybe she was just like I well, you support sh- you so much. Shouted Spike. at your mom's vagina on mic today, Caitlin. <laughs> so it's no wonder. Oh, that was the other thing. <gasps> Ooh, whoa! Yes, <laughs> it's not about. <laughs> Although I do think she was like, if you can't pay me, honey, I'm gonna go to my job where I support <laughs> maybe this she family. Literally was at so. work. <laughs> Like, I'm not going to take a day off to not get like, paid. Spike, right. the rest of the family is working on your little project. <laughs> so someone's got to no, go to work. Just, but the other thing that I wanted to say is bold move to have your first movie feature like a nice close up of you sucking on a nip. What? Oh, that is something that yeah. I was. Yeah. The, the movies choice. I don't know. Like, I wasn't like I, I feel like sometimes when uh, again, uh, God, we got to when. 
men who make movies by themselves. <laughs> There's another tendency usually when you're not inviting a lot of feedback that sometimes the sex scenes are leering and creepy and gross. I didn't think that this movie fell into that. Mm-hmm. Even though I did, I mean, Kinney's and I, I think it was a personal preference thing. We didn't love the belly button thing. I don't think it was offensive. <laughs> sure. Spike Lee sticks personally. his tongue fully into a belly button and kind of swizzles it around. Oh, like he's searching uh, for something. Like as a sommelier yeah. of belly button. I didn't love it. But again, that's not a criticism. That's just a well, little looking shaming. Uh, it, did, it didn't feel good for it. To, but that's, you know, but that's why there's all sorts of people. That's yeah. true. Sorry so three and a half, you were saying? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, reminder, I have to poop. And yeah, just, no. sorry, 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 we're talking about belly buttons. No, um, yeah, so three and a half nipples. Uh-huh. I will give one to Nola, one to Clorinda. I would have loved to see that friendship more on yeah. screen. I'll give one to Nola's mom, who presumably would have been played by Spike Lee's mom, but she's like, no thanks. I don't want to be in the movie. (laughs) And then I'll give the half nipple to the scene where Nola and her three lovers are playing Scrabble together, which (laughs) is, again, a sexual fantasy I have. I will. I'll meet you there at at three and a half. I think this movie is doing so much that uh, no movie in nineteen eighty six was doing. I think that the mistakes we have unpacked and are extremely glaring, and I found very upsetting. I, I was gently encouraged that at least Spike Lee has you know engaged in the discussion around it mm-hmm. and has admitted where he is wrong, and it seems like has course corrected in his future work. I haven't seen all of his future work, but um, I, don't, I don't think that this is a recurring problem for him. Mm-mm. So and I think that we, we sort of, I, I want Caitlin to be able to poop, so <laughs> I'll say three and a half. I'm going to give uh, I'll give two to Nola and I will give one to the Phantom of the Opera bed. Mm-hmm. And I will give the last half nipple to New York City. Mm-hmm. Ever heard of it? Ever heard of it. <laughs> uh, I am going to ride this three and a half train. <laughs> yes. I think if you had asked me when I first saw it 10 years ago, it was more than 10 years ago. You said like 10 <laughs> oh. years ago. And I was like, I wish. <laughs> no, I like being my age. It's great. But I, I'm i going to hurry up because I know you have to poop. It's, it's honestly fine. Okay. I really do want you to you poop. You shouldn't though. have told us this because yeah. now we're so invested. <laughs> we will sit around while you do it and oh, we'll let's, chat. Let's I wonder how it's going. How's it going in there, girl? <laughs> women supporting women. Let's get a hashtag going. Let Caitlin poop. <laughs> let's get, I'll get, I'll get the merch drafted tonight. Yes. yes. I know I haven't made yes. new merch in two years, but I think that this is really going to bring me out of retirement. Oh my God. I would love that. Yeah. Uh, I would have given it three nips when I first saw it mm-hmm. just because I was like, well, this seems kind of fucked up, but because we were interpreting it as her getting her comeuppance versus like her, like it's still again, very bad, but at least she has like power and agency at the end of this. And it is mm-hmm. her story throughout. So yeah. right now, three and a half. Okay. Two to Nola, mm-hmm. half to Mars Blackman as a character. Cause that was, 
he was in a Nike commercial. I mean, you can't take that from him. He does suck, but he's also so likable as a person. Just like Spike Lee is just extremely well, likable. The closing shot, because they do like the cast basically like introduces themselves with mm-hmm. the slate at the end. And then Spike Lee's the last one. And you're like, man, he's so fun. Yeah, I know. You gotta love him. It's fun because he's like, action. Okay, my name. Cut. Because yeah. he's the director. And you're like, that's you, dude. This oh, is your movie. That's like the correct amount of ego. I don't know how he struck the balance, but that is like the exact. You can't go more. Yeah, you can't go more. But that was perfect. I so oh. and the gave me all so the clues. I, that was two. Yeah, more police. No, Mr. Police. <laughs> the police. <laughs> I, I can't. I was about to say something bad. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, and then I'll give one to. Okay, the remaining nipples. I can't do math, so don't ask me to. The remaining nipples <laughs> go to the scene between. Well, actually, all of the sex scenes, because mm-hmm. even now it is not super common for like a black woman and a black man to mm. be naked together having sex, mm-hmm. especially like neither of them is light skinned. And that's always like a thing. They're like, we got a black person. I mean, sure. and the, mm-hmm. you can barely tell, but come on, <laughs> we got one. But this is like, no, these people are definitely black <laughs> they're mm-hmm. they're dark 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 although spike lee is the only one who doesn't show his butt and i was like we see everyone else's <gasps> butt but we don't see how good spike catch wow oh, see now that's the kind of ego that it's like everyone else showed their butt do you want to be in the movie or not yeah. <laughs> it's like you can't be hotter than me and you all have to show your butts and i don't okay <laughs> the, and i'm the director okay but yeah i like that because i feel like she's strong she's in power so many other images especially at that time of darker skin black women and darker skin in american sense not in the african sense you get it were like these like sex crazed deficient people mm-hmm. and to show someone who's like i had a good family i had a good childhood i like sex i know how i live isn't for everybody but this is how i live and i'm very upfront about it and mm-hmm. i really i really appreciated that yes. she's oh, not yeah. getting her value from the men she's having sex with which is what a lot of portrayals of black women were before that. Okay, I'm done. Please go poop. <laughs> well, you gotta tell. First of all, thanks for being on the show, Kniez. Five timer club. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell My all mops. those other people who were like close to me and the number of times that they've been on the show that they keep. Okay, they can try to come for me. But come on, <laughs> come on. We will have to set up a duel. Okay, <laughs> I will happens. fight them. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> Um, so yes, thank you for coming back for a fifth time. Always such a treat to have you. Uh, how can people follow you online and check out your stuff, plug all of your upcoming show dates, Okay, I will. Okay. So you can find information about me at kinesemobley.com. That's where you'll see show dates and more information. Okay. First off on Thursdays, 10 PM, check out my show. Caitlin's done it twice. You're the only person who's done it twice. (gasps) Whoa. Make yourself where's my smoking jacket. When you do it five times, I'll get you a jacket. (laughs) it'll be a jacket I good at will I'll get it at goodwill and I'll sew a little patch on and everything I know some good mouths if you yeah yeah. we gotta get I mean you gotta figure out your union but I'll (laughs) let you know I'm I'm busting it so it's been hard uh but yeah the show is called make yourself cry it is on planet scum which is Chris Gethard's twitch channel I did not know those words before but you should come (laughs) you should watch it it's funny it's heartfelt etc watch the episodes with caitlin i think one of them is still on my instagram so check that out on february 18th come see me at club coming in new york city i will be running my hour in preparation for my album recording uh also i'm in boston february whatever the weekend of valentine's day i don't keep it in my heart because i don't have someone i love (laughs) i will be in boston doing comedy so come there and then if you happen to live in 
Tennessee, a, a, a city called Bristol. If you happen to live there, oh. I'll be doing a weekend there. Amazing. In March. So, you know, Incredible. go. Mm-hmm. I bet we have at least one listener who lives in Bristol, please, Tennessee. If you, if you do, please come because your presence will make me feel safer. I'm one of those terrible city people that is terrified as soon as I go to a place with trees. So I need women <laughs> and I need black people. Please come so I feel safe. Okay. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, I have a... Wait, can I plug your show? I just got oh excited. My gosh. I do have to poop, but oh, it's fine. So- wow. <laughs> oh, I'm so I took so long. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, please, Jamie. No, Caitlin. <laughs> please, Jamie, please. I, I, Jamie, <laughs> Jamie, Jamie, please. Uh, you can come see my uh, solo show. I never... I don't know why I don't play it. Uh, you can come see my solo show that I'm working on in Los Angeles at the Elysian Theater. It's called Mrs. Joseph Chestnut, America, USA. I play <laughs> hot dog eating champion Joey Chestnut's ex-wife, and he steals my intestines, and then I kill him, and that's what that's the whole show. Um, <laughs> so if you can't see it, that's what happens. Uh, but that's going to be on February 17th at uh, 9 o'clock at the Elysian Theater, and uh, we would love to have some Bechtel cast listeners there and you know perfect way to come off of Valentine's Day is watch a show about hot dog divorce mm-hmm. um, and as far as the Bechtel cast goes you can find us uh, everywhere that you get uh, your social media addiction scratched um, <laughs> We've got an Instagram. We've got a Twitter. They're both Bechtelcast. You can sign up for our Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon, at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. You get two extra episodes every month. We're doing, what are we calling it? J- Jane, Jane Austenburian. Jane January Buary slash Austin Ember. August. Ember. And so <laughs> we're covering um, Anya Taylor-Joy Emma and Pride and Prejudice, the other movie you watched in college. Um, so for everyone who's been requesting Jane Austen episodes for five years, uh, we finally <laughs> decided to listen once. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. And then you can get our merch at tpublic.com slash the Bechtelcast. Be on the lookout for hashtag let Caitlin poop <laughs> shirts. <laughs> Jamie, I, I will so... force you to I know. I'm gonna make get these. Text every day. <laughs> Where's my poop shirt? <laughs> what an amazing friendship. Uh, <laughs> Oh wow! So yeah, that's you can get our merch. Um, and wow, what a what a joyful time! Truly, just I love you both so much. Oh, so fun. Our first in-person recording. I couldn't have asked for a better one. And probably, honestly, our last for a while. We don't we do this all, very often. Yeah, <laughs> we all got tested. We're all very safe, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Please don't come for me. Okay, thanks. Yeah, yes. no, we were we were safe, but this is this just worked out perfectly. So, um, you know, happy day you're having and uh caitlin's gotta poop bye bye Bye. bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th minute of fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me jamie loftus and every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day who are they what made them so notorious how did the internet or the algorithm choose them And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.